You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. morning. A bit of history. On January 1st, 1863, President Lincoln issued a famous executive order, Order 95, or Proclamation 95, or what we all know as the Emancipation Proclamation. The order immediately freed millions of slaves and set the groundwork for the Congress eventually to pass the 13th Amendment, which, as we all know, finally made slavery unconstitutional. But as we study history, as we think about history, as we read accounts, we we all know that things weren't immediately all good. Many of the older people who had been slaves all their lives didn't know any other life. They'd been born into slavery. They lived their entire life in that broken system. And for some, though the proclamation in the amendment said, you're free, you're free, they still went on living as slaves. The President's proclamation and the Congress's amendment gave them legal standing as free citizens. It was a done deal. They were no longer slaves, but out of habit and a way of thinking, some still lived as if they were enslaved. Perhaps when they saw their old master coming, maybe some shook in fear. Perhaps when they heard a command from their old master, they obeyed it. But the truth is they didn't have to do that. There was a legal standing that his power over them was now broken. They didn't have to live their lives like that anymore. They were free. And they needed to work that reality into their hearts. In our passage this morning, we'll be reminded that for those of us in Christ, black or white, rich or poor, we have been set free. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, through faith in the Messiah, we have salvation. And that salvation has set us free. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power in hell, No scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. This is the power of Christ in me. We have his salvation. We have his freedom. We have his forgiveness. But yet we'll see this morning, we'll be reminded this morning that so often we fall back into thinking and living like we're still enslaved. Like sin is still our master. Like fear and the opinions of others is our identity, like God is not in control, like something can pluck us from His hands. But what we'll see this morning is that just like our fellow citizens had to once work the reality of that legal freedom, that proclamation into their hearts, so we too, as believers in Jesus, have to work the reality of His salvation into our hearts. Why? Why do we do that? Well, it's the main idea of this message. And it's really the main idea of this passage, and it's this. We do that. We work that freedom into our hearts. We live in such a way because He has called us 
to live worthy of the calling that we have received. Or said another way, what you see up on the screens, live worthy of the calling that you have received. God has given us life in him. He has forgiven us of all of our sins. He's opened our eyes to see the truth of who he is in Jesus. He's called us to unity as his church, and he calls us to live distinctly, to live differently, to live in a countercultural way to show off the, to the world the freedom and the hope that we have in him. Now this passage, as we study this passage this morning briefly, it's going to have reasons. Reasons as to why we should live worthy of the calling we have received. And those reasons are my outline essentially this morning. I've titled each of them with the word because. And each is a reason why we should live lives worthy of the calling we have received. Pretty straightforward this morning. Number one, we should live lives worthy of the calling we've received because you have already come to a decision because you've already come to a decision. Number two, because you have put off the old self and put on the new self. We'll see that unique phrase. And number three, because you are being renewed. Each of these flows right from the passage, and they're all reasons why we should live worthy of the calling we've received and work that truth deeply into our hearts. Now, if you're new this morning, or you've missed the last couple weeks or months, we've been in the letter to the Ephesians as a church. What is Ephesians all about? A long time ago, I remember watching the movie The Passion of the Christ. It's a pretty brutal movie. There's lots and lots of blood, it's painful, it's gory, and eventually the crucifixion. And at the end of the movie, I really hate to ruin the surprise here, at the end of the movie, he gets resurrected from the dead. And I remember watching that movie, and at the time I was not a Christian, I was not a person of faith as I was watching that movie, but I watched it and I said, wow, this is crazy. This must mean something. Well, it does. And the letters in the New Testament, Colossians, Philippians, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, and so on, the letters explain what his death and what his resurrection means what they mean collectively for us as a church, but also individually in our lives. And as a church, we are right in the middle of this letter. And so far, we've been seeing how the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our salvation. It's the proclamation that we've been adopted into his family. Though we were once spiritual orphans, he's brought us into his family. That we were that we were needing his cleansing, and in Jesus Christ, God has provided the cleansing. He's cleansed us from all of our sin and our shame. That when we were dead in our sins, God, in his powerful grace, made us alive in Jesus Christ. But now, as this letter continues, and we find ourselves almost dead center in, this, in the middle of this letter, we start to see the so what, the ethics. We see the what now. If God has done all these things for us in Jesus Christ, if he's forgiven us, if we can come to him and trust him and believe in him, if he forgives us, if he loves us, if he's united us as one church, if he's adopted us into his family, well then how should we live? What is our ethic? What is our purpose? And the passage really begins in verse 17. 
and says this, now I say this, now this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, or said another way, the so what, the what now, the how do we live, the what is our ethic, in part, is right here. God says, live your life worthy of the salvation you have received. He says, do not go back. Live differently. He says, I have put my spirit in you. I have sustained your faith. I have proven faithful. I am real, so live distinct. Be holy. Don't go back into the wilderness. Trust me. And as the passage continues, we'll look at our first because this morning. We'll look at the first reason why we should live worthy of the salvation He's given us. And that reason is that you have already come to a decision. You've already come to a decision. Verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirits of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So notice... For those of us in Christ, the reason we see here as to why we live a life worthy of His salvation is because we've already come to a decision. To know Jesus Christ is to know the emptiness of life without God. And here we're reminded of how life without God is futile. How it can lead to enslavement. But we're also reminded here that when we met Jesus, that when we saw that the truth was in Jesus, verse 21, we heard about Him and were taught in Him. And the result was we turned from our sin. We turned from trusting ourselves. And we put our faith in Christ. It's described here with this very unique language of we put off the old self and we've put on the new self, verse 22 and 24. Now, it's important to point out this morning that apart from God's amazing grace in our lives, we would still be living with the mindset that's described here. Notice it's characterized really by two things. Number one, futility. And number two, given over to sensuality. First, apart from God's grace, we would be futile in our minds, darkened in our understanding because we would be alienated from the life of God due to the hardness of our heart. This is devastating language. That word futility means pointless. It means meaninglessness. It means not getting what you want. And second, notice here, apart from God's grace, we would be callous and given over to sensuality and greedy to practice every impurity. The idea there is that we would think we thought we were free. But the truth was that we were really just being driven by our fears. We were being driven by our lusts that we couldn't beat back. Futile and given over to sensuality. Maybe we couldn't even recognize that was our mindset, but because of God's grace, we began to see that life without Him doesn't have ultimate hope. 
Life without Him doesn't have real control. And we said at some point, if you find yourself in Jesus Christ this morning, we said at some point, I don't want that life anymore. I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to be ruled and driven by this and that anymore. I want to be ruled by Christ. I want to be ruled by a Savior who is gentle and humble in heart, who loved me and gave Himself for me. And the result was we trusted in Him. We put off the old self and we put on the new self that He gave us. For me, this happened as a college student. I was a godless 19-year-old, and my goal for my life was popularity and money and pleasure. Looking back on it, it was futile thinking. And it led me to a life where I thought I was in control, but looking back on it, my lusts owned me. My fears were driving me. I was a slave. But in my sophomore year of college, when God in His gracious providence, He eventually led myself and my roommates to go check out a Christian church. And there at that church, we met people there who actually cared about us, who loved us, who seemed to be sincerely interested in us. And it was there where I eventually saw the truth of my empty worldview, where I saw the truth of my enslavement, and where I eventually I saw that the truth was in Jesus, and where I put off the old self and I put on the new self once and for all. Live worthy of your calling. This is the first reason we see here as to why we live a life worthy of our calling, and it's the most obvious deduced from this text. We live differently, we live distinctly because we've seen the truth, we've come to a decision. We've seen what life is like apart from God. And seeing that the truth is in Jesus, we've come to Him and we're in Him. As we look at the passage more closely, we see a second reason this morning. It's closely related. We live worthy of His calling because we really have put off the old self and put on the new self. We've put off the old self and put on the new selves. In other words, live worthy of his salvation because he's really changed you from the inside out. Live worthy of his salvation because he's really changed you from the inside out. Notice those words translated put off and put on come from a Greek word that had to do with putting on a piece of clothing or a coat. In ancient, time, in ancient times, Greek writers would have used that word metaphorically to talk about putting on behavior or virtue. They would have said something like, put off hate and put on love. Put off laziness and put on diligence. But notice, no one has ever used that word like Paul does here. He says, we've put off the old self and we've put on the new self. Notice, he's not saying we put on a little bit more virtue. He's not saying we put on a little bit more hard work. He's not saying we put on a little bit more nice. He's saying that we put on a whole new self. This is a great reminder this morning that becoming a Christian is being something before it's doing something. Becoming a Christian is being something before it's doing something. It's a comprehensive interchange. Not just how you live, but to who you are. An inner change, a drastic and dramatic change 
through faith in Jesus Christ. This is often the biggest misunderstanding that I find that people have with the gospel. It's also often the most common mistake. They think about becoming a Christian and they say, does that mean I can no longer sleep with my girlfriend? Does that mean I have to use money differently? Does that mean I have to forgive my sister? If I become a Christian, will I have to do all of that? Well, the answer is yeah, but it's missing the point. It's totally the wrong question. Becoming a Christian means something much more dramatic. It means you change deeply on the inside. You become new. Your motives, your identity, your whole life changes. Of course, those things follow, but it's the wrong question. I've shared this before, but C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says it like this. Most people, when they invite God into their lives, expect a few changes. Lewis says it's like someone who has a little cottage. That cottage is your life. You ask the cleaner, God, to come into the cottage to clean out some of the gutters. Oh, I just wish it could be a little bit nicer here. I wish it could be a little bit more tidy. I wish I could be a little bit more moral here. But all of a sudden, if you've truly invited God into your life, the cleaner starts knocking down the walls. The point is, God's not just here to clean our cottage. Lewis says, if God really comes into your life, he comes into your life to turn your cottage into a castle. By the power of his spirit, he comes in to totally revolutionize you, to change you into something greater, to give us new life, to give us new motives, to give us a new identity. And from that, our whole life changes. Our whole ethic changes more than we could ever imagine. So closely related to this first reason, the second reason why we live lives worthy, godly lives, holy lives, is because God has really changed us. The picture is drastic. The old self, not just behaviors, the old self is gone, and the new self, recreated like God, has come. This really leads us to our third and final reason we see in this passage this morning as to why we live lives worthy of his great love for us. Why we live distinctly, why we live differently. It's because we are being renewed. Verse 22. You were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God has given us salvation, and that salvation has set us free. We have verse 22, put off our old self, and verse 24, we have put on the new self. Yet so often we fall back into thinking, and living like we're the old self, like sin is still our master, like fear and the opinions of others is our identity, like God is not in control. But God is at work renewing us. His plan is that one day, someday, we will finally be renewed. But in the meantime, notice he tells us in verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's the only present progressive tense in this passage. It's the thing we have to be doing all the time. What does that mean, though? 
What does it mean to be renewed in the spirit of our minds? It's a very interesting phrase here again, because those two words, spirit and mind, are almost never together. What does it mean? Well, the idea here is he's not talking about logic or reasoning. He's not saying, I want you to think this way or that way. He's talking about the very direction of our thinking, the heart of your thinking, the theme of your thinking. He's talking about a deeply transformed thinking, a thinking that's been inspired by the gospel. He essentially says, if you've put off the old self and you've put on the new self, I basically want you to live that out through the transformation of your thinking. The great example of this, of course, is St. Augustine. St. Augustine used to sleep around and he was a bit of a sex addict, and then all of a sudden, Augustine became a believer. He saw that the truth was in Jesus, and he put off the old self, and he put on the new self by God's power. And the story goes, a few years after he came to faith in Jesus, he was walking through a town that he used to frequent. He had not been in there for a while. And one of his old mistresses came up to him and started talking to him. And of course, Augustine was nice to her, but he didn't respond to her in his normal ways. And eventually he keeps walking, and the mistress becomes puzzled. And so she cries out, Augustine, Augustine, it is I, it is I. And the story goes, Augustine turns around and he says, but it is no longer I. The point is, is that he was transformed by the gospel. And he was taking his new identity and he was living it out. He was letting it transform his thinking. To be renewed in the spirit of our minds means that we daily let the opinion of God about us weigh more than the opinions of others or the opinions of ourselves. That means it doesn't matter what others think, yes, but it also doesn't matter what you think. The only thing that matters is what he thinks. And in Christ this morning, there is therefore now no condemnation. In Christ, there is steadfast love. There is more mercy in Him for you this morning than there is sin in us. In Christ, there is a purpose. He doesn't waste your pain. He doesn't waste our time. And in Christ, we are beloved sons and daughters. He looks at us and He says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. To be renewed in the spirit of our minds means that we daily let the identity we have in Christ weigh more than the identity that our culture or our family or our friends may place upon us. In traditionalism, your identity comes from how you perform your set of roles in the family. If you're a husband or a mother or a father or a son, if you fulfill those expectations under the set timelines, you'll be happy. You'll be good. But if you fail, you'll feel bad. You'll struggle. In post-traditionalism, your identity comes from how you perform your, 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 your achievements or your dream job or your role in society. Influencer, boss, whatever. If you fulfill the expectations under the timelines, you'll be happy. You'll be good. But if you fail, you'll feel bad. You'll struggle. But in Christ, we receive an identity that's not based on performance or effort at all. You receive an identity that comes completely by His grace through faith in Christ. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds means that we let the Spirit of God make who we are in the gospel real every day. 
we reflect and try to grasp all that that means, how deep and how wide and how high is the love of Christ to us. We live out of that reality. We do that because we are being renewed. And we want to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. As we close this morning, maybe you're not sure you've put on the new self and put off the old self. As the saying goes, clothes make the man or dress for the job that you want. Now, of course, that's not true in the ultimate sense. Church isn't about clothes. God makes the man. The quality of our clothing doesn't make God like us or hate us anymore. He doesn't judge by human standards. He looks at the heart. But in a metaphorical sense, perhaps God is calling you this morning to put on clothing that fits the occasion. And to drive this little metaphor home, the occasion is life. In this life, you need to be made new. You need to be forgiven. You need a hope that death cannot put out. You need a power that works within you to give you the strength to accomplish all that God has called you to accomplish. You can have all of that if you'll turn to God, if you'll look to Jesus Christ, the one who loved you and gave himself for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.